one of the thrills, it's our value, as I said earlier, that we are friends who enjoy God together. But one of the great privileges of uh, being a leader is you get to introduce your friends to your friends. And uh, our friend Terry Virgo gathers uh, leadership people of leadership across the nation uh, in January. Unfortunately, I missed it this year because I was with my other great friend, Lee, in Mexico. But for the last few years, I've been going to Terry's gathering, and it's been just a thrill to be introduced to some of Terry's friends and uh, some of the friends that he's had over the years. And one of the ones that I've become close to and really received a lot from is David Carr. And uh, I remember once sharing at that setting. People were sh- They go around the circle, and everyone shares wonderful things, don't they? Have you ever been in a setting like that? And I'm actually thinking, I haven't got too much wonderful stuff to share this morning. Actually, I've got a bit of grief. I've got a bit of sadness. I've got there's some stuff I'm going through, some of the stuff you've heard me share before about my sister and my family and, uh, and actually about the, the whole grief of New Frontiers. It was, a, it, it was a wonderful multiplication, but there was some grief. Yeah, there's some loss in the gain as well. And I shared that, and it was like, all went silent, apart from David Coe came up to me after, he said, oh, that was magnificent, lad. You know, it's, it's good to hear, I can't do his accent, but that's your, that, he, he's actually got promoted to Yorkshire, you notice. <laughs> I, I can only do Yorkshire or Welsh, uh, and I think Yorkshire, I don't know, perhaps Welsh would be better. But he said, that was mag-, he said, we don't hear many leaders talk about vulnerability and openness, so well done. And that's kind of started a friendship, and I've often sat with him at mealtimes and just learned from him and asked him questions. And if you've got a question to ask, I tell you, David's got a wealth of experience and knowledge. Do text in your question for that second session. But I want to introduce to you our friend, David, and hopefully he's going to become our friend. David Carr, you're most welcome as a friend. Whoa. In one day, I've learned to dress New Frontiers. You didn't didn't see the nice jacket I brought with me. That's back in the car, that is. If I come here again, I'll sell it. Nobody will buy it. It's the anointing is the cloak. Now, I'm going to try and do something which I have to do with church. We have three services on a Sunday, and so I am extemporary by calling, but I have to be disciplined when you have three services. And, I, and there's a lot I want to say, but I just thought the second session should be... See, Jesus went about, and, and rather than telling them what they wanted to hear, he always said, what do you want me to do? And sometimes when we come to conferences, you get the pet theme of the preacher rather than him saying, what do you want me to do? And when I go around, they say, oh, no, preach what you like. And I say, no, you should never do that in a church. Always tell the leader what's on your heart. It's up to him to tell you if he's the right man or the right woman. Because we're not there to preach our own thoughts. We're there to preach the thoughts of God for the body of Christ. And so don't ever be frightened to say to the preacher, this is where we're at at the moment. Word of knowledge can always kick in. So I'm going to try and stick to some script, which will be a miracle, but I'll do my best. I just said, after 55 years of preaching, eight years as an evangelist, and 47 years as a founding pastor, having given leadership and oversight with three denominations, two uniquely at the same time, and now leading an international order of some 3,000 churches in eight nations, which have just joined churches together in England, I was a bit confused what to teach you, because I think I've taught on almost every subject, some very badly, and that's why I wasn't asked back again. But most times, when they choose, they choose me to speak on the miraculous (coughs) and the things of the Holy Spirit, especially the use of tongues. I find from a historic Pentecostal background, 
we were brought upon three messages in tongues every day, every Sunday. Ethel used to interpret, and if Ethel was in Singapore on holiday, so was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and when she came back, he came back. And we used to, in those days, give our messages in, in King James Version. Yay, yay, nay, oh nay. Yea, have I not said unto thee, have I not? Was I not with Moses and Abraham? Was I not? And then somebody would get up and, they, they, you know, we get the same in interpretation. And then sometimes you get the old shake, rattle and roll, and we get all that. I'm not being facetious, I'm just saying that's how we wear. And, uh, and it's evolved, but sometimes you can evolve to the point where everything you wear is no longer there. And we have to be so careful that the Holy Spirit isn't organised out of our meeting. Because we become so seeker-friendly, we don't need him. But tongues, I think, is quite unique because it took me 10 years to speak in tongues. So I came from a background that said, if you didn't speak in tongues, you weren't filled with the Spirit. And so Billy Graham got a lot of stick. You know, he only saw millions of people saved, but he wasn't filled with the Spirit. God help us if he had to be. We'd have nothing for just to do now. Everybody would be saved, wouldn't they? But it took me 10 years. You heard how that happened yesterday. If you were here, our two boys got me there. And I got critical. I looked at people who spoke in tongues and got gifts of the Spirit, and I said, well, they are living sinful lives. I'm not. So why would I need what they've got? And you begin to take it out on the Holy Spirit. But then I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I suddenly found by accident that the tongues I was speaking were day of Pentecost tongues. And not just There were more than that. And then I read what Paul said, and Paul said this, even though I speak with the language of angels and of men. So he said, there's two languages I speak. But I have not love, I'm a sounding brass. And so I thought, what, what are these two languages? Even though I speak with the languages of men, not the language, the languages of men. So I sought God on this and found God be quite a new thing. I speak in about 12 languages. You know my history, if you were there yesterday, totally dyslexic, couldn't read and write, no formal education. And I made a statement which I didn't qualify, and I said, this is it. I said, even if you don't understand things, subliminal. Remember I told you that? I sat under a great Bible teacher for 18 years. I knew he was anointed, I knew what he said was true, and I couldn't tell you when I left the service what he preached about. Because he was too advanced, he was on about superfluity and naughty, naughty and tenacity purpose and all these things. Just say it as it is, sort yourself out. And... Um, Stick to it, boy. And so, until they wrote the Birmingham version of the Bible, I couldn't read. It was, um, <laughs> all right, I'm all right, great. And suddenly when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, all those 18 years of teaching came back because the Holy Spirit says he brings back to remembrance. So if you don't learn it, you can't bring it back. So some people say, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, brother, he'll tell me what to say. No, no, no. He brings back to remembrance that which we've learned. I'd had 18 years, and then I did five years to study for the ministry. I had 23 years of Bible reading. And people would say to me, where did you get that theology from? I'd say, I don't know. And it was the 18 years I'd sat there subliminally taking it into the part of my brain which couldn't interpret it until the Holy Spirit came. So I had the advantage of 23 years reading the Bible. Or the Bible reading me would be better because I couldn't read. And then I suddenly found that this gift that Paul said of tongues was was not just to glorify God, it was to reach men. Because most of our tongues are praise. And so I went to a, a conference 
of a, of a Pentecostal denomination. They wanted me to go there to explain why I, after 28 years of being a radical Pentecostal, I'd become a Methodist. And I thought, that's a hard subject to preach on, isn't it? <laughs> and while I was there, they said, would you pray for our missionaries? And they brought 12 missionaries out. They never told me where they were. They were from 12 different countries, and I prophesied over them in their language of their countries. So I came to this one, and I prophesied in Spanish, and in Portuguese, and in Korean, Cantonese, German, Italian, all the way through, and the power of God knocked them out, and fear came all over the congregation, because they knew my background. Remember when I came to the Brighton Conference? <laughs> Terry said to me, just be yourself. He's never forgiven himself for that. It was after that he thought of splitting it into spheres after that, you know. <laughs> save a split and of course I started to speak in tongues and, and they gasped and a Chinese doctor ran to the front and said to Terry's team he's prophesying over these people praying over cancer in Cantonese my language then I broke off into another tongue and another man ran down from Jersey and he said he's speaking in, in Jersey French But I was at a conference, another Pentecostal conference. They, must, they used to love me in those days until I left and then they never spoke to me again. They do now. Thought I backslid. And I was on the platform with all the other speakers. As we were leaving, I was the last one. Never be the last one to leave. Because this pastor's wife had got this gothic with her. She got all the black gothic, 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 all gothic. Nothing black but gothic. And she said, um, would you pray for her? We found her on the roadside. She's going to commit suicide. And I was due to preach and again, and I went, nobody behind me. I said, I'll just give you 15, 20 minutes. The next is surreal. Just to give me strength, I put my other hands and I started speaking in tongues and she started answering me. I didn't know this girl was French. She didn't know English. I didn't know the pastor's wife was a teacher of French. And the story goes because the fear of God hit the teacher. I not only spoke to her, this girl in French, but in colloquial French from her region. And I said to her, I don't have time to waste. You are into Satanism, and this is how it happened. And as I told her what had happened, I said, now you need to come to Christ. Do you want to do that? She answered me back. I said, in the name of Jesus, she screamed and vomited all over my shoes, which I've got to say to you is bad, because that's the way that men clean their shoes, you see. <laughs> Oh God, I, I can't do that. Cast the demons out, led her to the Lord, got her filled with the Holy Spirit and walked away. And this teacher knew my history and she came to me and she said, but I'm going to ask you now, it's going to frighten me. You don't know a word of French, do you? I said, no. She said, I knew everything you said. You led her to the Lord, all in her own accent. Just joined the Free Methodist Church and they do things different to we do. Went to a conference and every time a preacher preaches, they get up there and they all analyse it. Thank God you're not going to do that, are you? <laughs> Some of the questions are going to do that, aren't they? And as I'm sitting there, I've been in the Methodist Church two, year, two weeks and I'm in, I'm in San Antonio. And the bishop turned around and said, let's have a few uh, reports. And he said, brother so-and-so, how are you? He said, well, he said, I've had a terrible year. I was on the way to take over the new church and a 17-year-old girl hit me head on and she got killed. And I was three months in hospital. And I was taken over the church where the pastors run off with the worship leader and he started crying. 
And the bishop said, David, perhaps you'd like to come and pray. And I'm sitting right at the back, 500, because I've only been there two weeks. I'm, I'm English, not American. And he said, David, David Carr. He said, uh, is there a problem? I said, well, I've only just joined you. And he said, don't be silly, you're part of the kingdom. So I didn't realize that the Free Methodist Church believed in the gifts of the Spirit, but only for personal use. So I, being me, walked down the aisle, off in tongues. They all go, oh. Then I, I commit sin, I kiss the man. And then I told him the date that he'd be out of his problem. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I sat down and the bishop said, well, we can't go on now, can we? I thought I'm going to be thrown out after two weeks. We must analyse this, mustn't we? Must check the gifts. What's happened? He spoke in tongues publicly. Yes, he did. Did it seem wrong? No. <sighs> One down, three to go. He kissed him. He did, didn't he? I'm shrinking in my back seat here. But the Bible says, greet each other, greet the brother with, a, with a, a holy kiss. Was that a sensual kiss or a holy kiss? Holy kiss. Cool, thank God. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay in the free Methodist here, I can tell And then they said, he told him the date it was going to end. What's that? Prophetic. The pastor got up and said, you don't understand any of it. He said, my dad was my best friend. He was a French-Canadian pastor. He's died. And I grieve for my dad because he used to go to him when I was in trouble. He said, the pastor walked down. He spoke in Canadian French and quoted the scripture my dad used to quote me as a boy. Kissed me on the head like my dad did. And he's told me when I'm going to be free. And the bishop said, what's happened here? And the senior pastor got up and said, God sent us a prophetic father to help us back into the gifts. I was in a church of all white people, just one black person. And it was a very formal church. And they sang, the choir sang an anthem and I got up and then I sang a song in the spirit. I could just see this black guy in the front row with his head on the pew crying. At the end he said, thank you, I got healed tonight. He said, you sang a healing song in Swahili. He said, and I was healed as I sat in the pew. I said, really, what did I say? And he told me, I went, whoa. And then a few months back, we had an Italian prostitute walking off the street and she sat there and while I was praying for the sick, she sent to the person saying, how long have you had an Italian pastor? I said, why? She said, well, he's praying over that woman's tumor of the brain in Italian. And the, and the girl next to her was wise enough to say, it's because God knew you were coming. He doesn't know Italian. We had a Muslim come in on the back of a lorry Woman with two kids strapped to her, burnt all down the side by the engine to get a better life from Albania. And somebody met them in the supermarket, could hardly speak English, brought them to church as I stood there and prayed in Albanian. And they came forward and got born again. You see, tongues is just more than We can reach the nations. Because on the day of Pentecost, they were all Jews, so they all could speak Hebrew but they all heard in their own language from where they lived. And he drew a crowd because they said, these men are unlearned and I qualified for that. 
Perhaps that's why God gave me the gift. So there's many things in the spirit of miracles. You know, we've been blessed to see some incredible miracles. A soldier with his face completely burnt in action. Prayed for next day, brand new face. Well, the old face dropped off. You know, when I was at uh, a conference in Lincolnshire, a little girl came forward. She'd been born without a knuckle. And they couldn't put a plastic one in until her finger stopped growing because the finger would stop growing if they fiddled with it. And the pastor's wife brought her, and as we prayed and touched it, we saw the knuckle grow in front of us. 33 women totally medically unproven cannot have children or have babies. Cancer is leaving bodies. See, I'm saying this just to tell you, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the centrality of the word. I believe in the angelic. Isn't it funny, if I was to talk about the demonic, you'd all believe me. If you talk about the angelic, you look at me as if I'm on the borders of insanity. But you know, children are great. We've been into church and I've seen the children standing there, four or five, they're looking into a corner smiling. And I stand behind them and I say, well, I'm looking at kids, they go. And I say, they go, you know. I go, no. He's very tall, he's smiling at us. Is he? Does he have wings? No, he doesn't have wings. Just in white with a gold band. Oh, he's gone now. And I said, you see them very often? Oh, yeah. They stand behind you normally. When you're ministering and they pour oil over you. And then I almost died eight times. Had a heart attack at 70 miles an hour. And I was 42 on the motorway and as I was going out in at the wheel, passing out. No shalaman yanamushinda. The Lord is great and worthy to be praised. All glory be to the Lord Most High. I shall not fear if I call on the name, the name of the Lord Most High. I came back, pulled into the hard shoulder, lay there for 20 minutes until the famous as two bricks went back to Soli Holland as in intensive care for 10 days. God gave me a scripture and revelation. He said, Do not fear. Do not fear. When you're put into prison for 10 days, for I'll give you a glorious future. Your crown will not last forever. I worked for a company called Crown Life. And that's when I left and became full-time. A Satanist came to kill me one day. I've had a number of people try to kill me. And as he came to the church, this is his testimony, ex-paratrooper. He suddenly saw, <laughs> I love this, he said, I saw a bright light, and when I got near, his language wasn't quite this. <laughs> I saw a bleep, bleep, nine-foot-tall man standing on the door, leaning on this bleep, bleep sword, and he turned and looked down at me and said, I don't think you want to cross me, do you? <laughs> and he phoned up and said, who was that bleep, bleep man with a sword? <laughs> it's an angel. And I was preaching in Rotherham, and I was coming down the motorway. 
and I've got a guy with me, quite a sane intellectual guy, good job to verify it. As I'm coming around the corner, my car is picked up and placed into that lane there. As I go around the bend, there's a rock falling from the cliff. And when we pulled into a service station, he said, didn't you see the angel smile at us as he put the car down? Wow. And actually, that person who did think, I've actually been in the throne room of God once in my life. So what do we want to talk about then? We want to talk about pastoring our community. I was called into ministry at 19 with the words of Ezekiel 33, I have set before you to be a watchman to the nation. This is a spiritual insight ministry. A watchman was to warn of pending danger. If he warned and the people responded, great. If not, it was upon his own head if he didn't warn them. That scripture coming to a 19-year-old brought a holy fear to my heart. That message fashioned the rest of my life and ministry even today. Having had opportunity over the years to minister and reside in other nations, especially when things were going difficult here, offered very lucrative churches in South Africa, America, New Zealand. This scripture has always determined my geographical influence. I will never leave this country. A watchman ministry is often lonely. The impact of this was visualised when visiting an ancient priory in Northumberland and there I saw stone monks who stood on the walls, some with their hands above their eyes looking as watchmen, others with trumpets to their mouth, yet others praying. This drew emotions from within me of sacred fear. Throughout the ages he has called people to watch and sound the warning from the walls of his kingdom. These monks would rise at 4am for prayer, at 6am they would visit the graveyard to dig one small trowel of dirt from their de designated grave. No, not morbidity, but to make them realise their mortality and to remind them that they were building for the kingdom and not for now. Then they would go leave the priory and serve the community till evening prayer and meal and bed. Having received the call to ministry, which I shared last night, I want to fast forward you now to 1994. Having received what appears to be a once-in-a-lifetime revelation of Christ, I took 40 men to Culver in Derbyshire. And we spent a weekend there. And on the, Saturday, on the Friday night, halfway through prayer, the Holy Spirit hit us. I didn't know any more. I was sucked out of my body. Literally sucked out of my body. And I was in the throne room of God. Never saw him. Only saw the back of him. He never spoke to me, but he spoke to me. You know what I mean? He didn't open his mouth, but he spoke to me. And he said to me, son, I want you to look over and see what I see. And I saw knights in armour with all different shields. He said, those are all your denominations and groupings. They all have a different emblem on there. And he said, but rather than fighting together, they're eating, drinking and laughing. That's the state of the church in England. If only they came together, you'd win a battle, but they won't. They've got their own flags. Then I won't go through everything, but he told me two big things that would happen. And he said, and all the things he told me to do with the royal family, the government, this is what's going to happen in your nation in the years that come ahead. He said, there's going to be a financial crash of the banks and the building societies. This was 1994. didn't happen until much later. He said, it's going to crash. Warn the churches not to go into debt. And he said, everybody's petrified of Islam. Islam is not going to bring the downfall of the church, so homosexuality is. Same-sex marriage is going to bring chaos to the churches and political correctness is going to cause you to lose your licences. That will be the attack against the church, not Islam. 
Don't tell anybody. I will send people who need to know to you. Now you've got to realise, even though I'd started the church for 21 years, I was working in football and running the church, and I never went full-time until we were 400. I ran both. Plus I did television work for Central Television. So I was doing three jobs when I had my heart attack. And my doctor said, if you don't give two of them up, you'll be dead in six months. So I was like Paul, I chose to not be paid. But then I switched. And then the church went from 400 to 2,000. So I'm in this situation where I come home and I can't tell anybody what's happened. Other than when I came round, all the men were just completely on the floor, lying over chairs. God had just come in. I've never known the fear of God like it in my life. The fear of God, the correct fear of God, is the beginning of all wisdom. But in two weeks, people like Bryn Jones, some of you may have heard of him, denominations who didn't know me were phoning me up right out of the blue saying, can I speak to you, David? God's told me to phone you because you've got a message for us. So I started travelling around the country to theological colleges. Unbelievable. And as I started to tell them what God said, in every case, God took them out in the power of the Spirit. Some had never been out in the Spirit before. They were just coming off, off tables. At one theological college, as I spoke, the faculty and the pupils just went bang, straight on the floor. Holy Ghost just went poof. Took them out. Now, I don't know how many people learned that, but we were in the middle of building a 10 million pound church called Praise Cathedral. Money had been granted, and all I had to do as a senior pastor and a trustee was to sign the final form, and I come back and say, I'm not signing it. We'll go, we'll go bankrupt. We'll not sign. The church is not the building, it's the people. Now, I, I did well to get away with that because I said, I'm sorry, I'm not signing it. But because my elders trusted what I'd seen, they, they didn't sign it. And one man in my church, who was a banker from Switzerland, he went back to his bank and said, oh, is there going to be a crash? They said, no. He said, I believe my pastor, not you. Battened down the hatches and never lost a beam. He gave a big donation to the church. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but now I'm coming to what God says to me now because I just feel we're, we're getting somewhere on this. I started seeking God at this time. And the Lord said to me, I was going to go to Australia to preach and the, and the government would not give me a license, wouldn't give me a visa to preach because of my involvement with the IRA. But for some reason they said I could lecture. <laughs> so every church I went to, I said, well, good morning. The lecture today <laughs> is from Isaiah 53, <laughs> in case somebody was watching me. But stopping in the house that were putting me up, I wake very early in the morning, five in the morning, sun was shining through. And the Lord, because I told you yesterday how he speaks to me and he's retained it even though I've got a modicum of education now. He said to me, morning son. I said, morning Lord. He said, uh, what are you waiting for? I said, waiting for the house to wake up. He said, right, while you're there, I want you to read Matthew. But I just want you, I just want you son, to read the red bits. Because I'd got a Bible with red bits. He said, just read the red bits. And then come back to me when you've read them. So I sat there and just read the red bits. And when I came back to God, I said, I am gutted. He said, why? I said, I don't preach what you preached. I preach good things. I preach about Paul. I preach out of Isaiah and Ezekiel. Good things, but I don't preach what you preach. 
He's too embarrassing. He's too hard. Because you're gentle, you're loving, but you're firm. In fact, Lord, I don't think many preach what you preach. Plus the fact, Lord, I don't know you as I should know you. He said, if you do preach what I preach, you will not become popular. So I put all my sermons away for Australia and New Zealand and I preached, as Paul puts it, I only preach Christ and him crucified. But he did say there's a warning to the intellectual, it will be embarrassing. And to the religious, it will be offensive. But to those of us who are being saved, and I'd like to say that's an ongoing process and not just a one-off with your hand in the air, which we don't teach. It's the power of God, the dynamis of God unto salvation. And I saw hell blasted and heaven let loose during those two weeks. God took people out left, right and centre when I was... So I then spent two years just reading the red bits. So I get to the point where people are saying, well, Jesus wants me to be happy if they never said that ever. Where did he say that? And, and I think Jesus wants me to do that's contrary to what he said in Matthew so-and-so. Yeah, but what about, no, Jesus actually said the opposite. He said this. So rather than quoting, I've read this book or this book, it's, Jesus said this. See, the Muslims talk about Muhammad. How often do we talk about Jesus? Wonderful today when you hear this saying, Christ, 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 Lord, we love you, you're a king, you're a king. And then Jesus said, there's a key parable. And he said to the disciples, if you don't know this parable, you don't know nothing. Anybody know what the key parable is? Look, if you get it wrong, I'll only laugh at you. <laughs> Who knows what the key parable is in the Bible? He said, if you don't know this, forget the others. It's the key, opens up. Go on, have a guess. There's only about 12. We can be here till one. Anybody want to guess? Honestly, don't be ashamed of being a fool of yourself. I've spent my whole life being one. Sower. The sower. It's the sower. Jesus said, if you understand what the sower means, you'll understand every, every parable. The sower does not speak about being backslidden. None of the parables talk about being backslidden. Ah, how about the parable of the lost son? No, no, actually, the lost son was dead. Jesus said he was dead, lost. He only became alive when he came to his senses. If he hadn't come to his senses, he'd have been dead in a pigsty. So the sower actually is interesting because what we call a Christian, Jesus doesn't. Some fell on hard ground. Well, it's easy to work out, isn't it? Wow, stuff for you, I don't want to hear that. Clear off. That's easy to understand. And just in case they do think about it, the birds of the air, all circumstances, football on a Sunday, watching television, going down the boozer, whips it off and goes so they never hear it again. Can make that one. Now, this is the one we call backslidden and God doesn't. Some fell on some ground and started to grow rapidly and it seemed so good. They came into our fellowship, put their hands up, they prayed the sinner's prayer, they come to Alpha, it's looking good, doodle-oodle-oodle-oodle. But then it says when there comes pressure through the word and the offence, they put their roots down, but there ain't nothing there because it was an emotional decision. It was a mental decision, a physical decision, but it was not with the spirit. You see, we're four-dimensional people, body, mind, soul, and spirit. 
And when we become a Christian, we have to give all those to God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, body, soul, and spirit. Our mind, come let us reason together. We've got a thinking faith. Our body, we bring into submission, says Paul. Our soul is our personality, and our spirit is the God image that was breathed, ruach, into us in Genesis. And if a person puts their hands up in a church, we do not know if they're saved because he said, go and make. Make means fashion. Disciple means discipline learner. You do not make a Christian by a hand in the air. Sometimes that's only a conception. There's no gestation. Wow. And some fell amongst thorns. Choked the living daylights out of them because it was an additive to their lifestyle, not a new lifestyle. And you think, as a disciple, said, can anybody be saved? Jesus said, but some fell on good ground and produced 30, 60, 100 fold. We don't all produce the same level because we have different giftings but we should all produce the same quality. 30, 60, 100 fold. And then when they said, how do we know a person's a Christian? He said, by their fruit you shall know them, which is love, joy, peace, meekness, self-control, faithfulness. Not, I can raise the sick, I can raise an offering. Because we know a lot of people have got the gifting, but their character stinks. Now, isn't it funny as well? If you're in the established church... Hang on, right hand. But you have to do the blessing over people. If you're in the established church, a Christian is this. Christening, confirmation, first communion, you're in. And we evangelicals go, oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. Oh, shaka baba, no, no. <laughs> what it is, is put your hand up, pray the sinner's prayer, get baptised in water as a Christian, and the charismatics go, oh no, you've got to all go, who does who as well? And it would surprise some of you if none of that is in the Bible. Confess me before men does not make a sinner's prayer, even though in spite of our bad theology, God saves people. Now we all say, don't we, well, bless God, six saved today on Sunday, let's move on to the next lot. But Jesus says, it's how you end, not how you start. He that endures to the end is saved. He that puts his hand to the plough and turns back was never equipped for the kingdom of God. Many will leave the faith in the last days giving seducing doctrines of demons. We don't hear many sermons on this part of the Bible. And then he talks about blotting out of the book of life. I haven't ever heard one sermon in all my 50 years on that one. And Paul, who believes in Christ, believes that because he says, I have now run my race. I have kept the faith. So there is laid up for me. But Paul also says, and so and so who sadly is no longer with us anymore. Now, the prodigal son who came back to God came to his senses, or in our language, got convicted of the Holy Spirit and said, my father has got servants better than I am. I will go back and say, I am not worthy. This is repentance. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And as he came, his father met him and said, my son, who was dead. Dead. He's alive now. 
He was lost, but he's found. But listen, church, he didn't get any of his inheritance back. And God's got an inheritance for everyone in this room. And once you've squandered it, he will bring you into relationship, but you don't get that back. Because what happens? The calf is killed, poor thing. He's killed, fatty calf. The robe's put on him, the ring's put on him, the shoes are put on him. And his brother turns around, grumpy old thing, and says, oh, you can enjoy yourself, which means he would have if he could have. Have a bit of sex on the side, bit of gambling, bit of the old uh, get yourself toxic. All that, and all you have to do is come back and he gets it all back. And the father said, look at everything here. All this is yours, not his. He's come back. He's your brother, but he's lost his inheritance. Now, I don't know if you believe that you've got an inheritance waiting for you, but the Bible says, lay up treasures in heaven where moth, rust and thief can't get. We are working towards something. We used to be taught that a lot. That's not taught now. Then the Lord came to me after he told me about Jesus and to not read the red bits. He really upset me one day. I'm sitting there again in my office, minding my own business. <laughs> Would you believe God walked into my office at church? I mean, that's unbelievable, isn't it? He walks in and he says to me, Dave, read Matthew 25. Lord, I've read it many times. It's goats and sheep, this and that. Yeah. And I read it again. So I read Matthew 25. I was hungry. I was in prison. I was sick. I was naked. And then it's, it was very severe because this is heaven and hell stuff. He had the goats on the left and the sheep on the right. And he said to me, Dave, you don't preach the gospel. I said, hang on, God. That, that's one thing you have got wrong. I'm, well, he can be wrong, you know, can't he? No, he can't. I said, I've seen thousands saved. He said, that's only half the gospel. That's only half the gospel. He said, sheeps and goats. Now, if you live in England, you can't understand that analogy because sheeps and goats, we have woolly sheep and hairy goats. And anybody, a kid can tell you the difference. But some of you know that if you're in the Middle East, there's no difference. They don't have horns. Sheep and goats are both hair. And when I travelled there, I didn't realise the impact of this scripture until I said to a taxi driver, you've got a lot of goats here. He said, no, those are sheep and those are goats. I mean, they're the same. He said, oh, yes, the only way you know the difference is sheep have the tails down and goats have the tails up. So when Jesus said there's goats and sheep, the layman wouldn't know the difference. The difference is in what they did. He said, and you don't do it. See, I, I, I was very committed to church, faith, miracles, but works and good works. Didn't have time for, left that to the Salvation Army. And God says, you're unbalanced. You're a goat. If you want to be a sheep, you better alter quickly. I went before the Lord. Because being extremist, you're either spiritual or, or, you're, or you're carnal. You're either practical or you're prophetic. And you, I couldn't see the two together. He said, it's the difference between church and kingdom. See, it's interesting. He came to Peter and he said, Peter, according to your theology, 
I'm going to build my church on you. You're Peter the Rock. I'm going to build my church. Well, he doesn't build on people. Of course he does. He built on Terry Virgo and George Jeffries and John Wesley. But it's his church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. See, you can build on, we're built on the apostles' doctrine. And the Bible says the prophets and the apostles' doctrine were built on their doctrine. We as a Christian church are built on, 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 on the Nicene Creed. It's been there since 332 or something like that. We, we believe in it. It's the basis of our belief. We're built on it, but it's his church. So the trouble is, son, you begin to think it's your church. It's mine. All you were called to was to found it for me, take care of it for me. You're there to preach the kingdom. I will build my church, get into the kingdom. That didn't mean I left the church, didn't, didn't turn my back on it. It meant I was trying to know, rather than do that, I was going to do that. I didn't know how to do it. So I went to church on the Sunday and I said to people, God's told me I'm not preaching the gospel. Yes, we're seeing people born again and discipled, but what about the poor? What are we doing? I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And the very moment I'm on the platform, we have a duty pastor, because we have about 16, 1,700 people in the, one, in the one church, who was out in the foyer. And suddenly the phone went. Do you know the funny thing? We'd make terrible, we'd make terrible businesses. The busiest day of our life, we don't answer the phone. <laughs> Imagine John Lewis not answering the phone on a Saturday. Sorry, we're closed on Saturdays. We're having a party. <laughs> we have a receptionist who takes calls on a Sunday. And this is the story. A woman whose husband went on a three-day drinking spree, went out, left it without any money, no food or anything, and she's starving. And for whole, one complete day, she's had no electricity, no gas, no food for her kids. She walks into the police station and said, we can't do a thing. If you'd have stolen a loaf from Sainsbury's, we'd have arrested you, we'd have fed your kids. Social services would have come out, but because you've not committed a crime, there's nobody can help you. And then he put yellow pages and he said, shouldn't churches be helping people like you? There was nobody open. We're closed, having a service. As I'm on the platform saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. The phone call comes through and she's crying. She's humiliated. I've got no food. He says, don't worry, love. Walks up to the financial guy. He said, we've just had the offering. Give us some money. Takes the lady with him, goes down, buys some electric and gas tokens, gets the food, walks around, cold house, little kids, nose is running, sobbing, hungry. Man, I just want to cry. And as he's, she's cooking the meal for them, and she's sobbing, she says, why would you do this? You don't know me. And then he gave the statement, this is what Christians do. We now feed 3,000 people. Then God said to me, what about alcoholics? They're going to mess your church up, aren't they? I said, well, bloody hell, yeah. Do you fancy some? I said, not really, no. Well, I'm honest with him. Will you accept him? I suppose I will. Next Sunday, I'll give the altar call. Six Alcoholics Anonymous all standing at the front. Come oh on, God, where are you from? Alcoholics Anonymous. Where are you from? Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous. How come you're here today? We don't know. We've passed this church for years. Something told us to come in today. Oh, God. <laughs> Hope he doesn't say unicorns. Do you like unicorns? <laughs> Out of those six... Out of those six, we've just started to feed this woman. Out of those six, we don't know how we're going to start a ministry. Bob, what a screwed up life has Bob got. Bob, I've had breakfasts with him now for five years. 
Bob sits at home and God says to him, he doesn't know God doesn't speak to you if you haven't had a theological degree. God speaks to him and says, Bob. And he goes, who's that? <laughs> Bob. <laughs> Who is it? It's me, Bob. <laughs> Wants you to do a cheese sandwich, take your overcoat, go buy a Mars bar, drive into Birmingham, into this car park, level three. It's going to be dark. You'll go to this bay and a man will appear homeless from behind one of the posts. Your job is not to preach to him, not to help him. You give him the coat because he, he, he's been desperate for one. You give him the sandwich because it's his favourite and you give him the Mars bar because he's always wanted one and you say, God understands where you are. Somebody else will come along and tell you what to do. All right, God, he says, because he doesn't know any different. <laughs> he gets it, drives in, third floor, man comes out, puts the coat on him, fits him, gives him the sandwich and that and he says, somebody else will come and see you. He started our Helping Hands ministry to the poor. Yeah. Then we heard that in the north of our town, who lived seven years less than the, than, the, than, the, than the south, poor area, the kids weren't getting any toys for Christmas. Man, this, this screws me up, this does. So we said to the people, we can't have this. No second-hand toys, brand new ones. So that year we got 400 kids, three toys. Yeah, well, I know, but hang on, what's this about? Getting them saved, are we? No, hang on, hang on, wait for a bit. We get a man who's worked all his life and he loses his job two months before Christmas. He's got no money and his little girl has sent the message to Santa Father Cruz. So he's just about to kill himself because he can't provide for his family. When the next door neighbour knocks the door and says, hey, one of the location churches up there, they're running a free shop for presents. Why don't you come with us? And as he walked in, the very present his daughter wanted was right in the middle. And he said, how much? And the person said, it's free. And he cried. And we cried. We saved a man's life. So all this started to happen. And I thought, my God. The council started phoning us up. Never give us money in 30 years. I want to give you some money for what you're doing. Other churches who hadn't spoken to us for years said, we want to come in with you and help you. 10, 15 churches joined us. Schools started having assemblies, having harvest festivals, which they stopped having, just so they could bring food for us. And I'm sitting there one day, and I'm saying, but, but good. I'm spending all my time going around speaking to leaders. I'm telling my people to do what I'm not doing. I've not, I've not done any witnessing for years. I'm stuck in my office, I'm stuck in conferences. Help me. I want to be back normal. I want to win people. One of the girls in our church when she joined was 10 and she always wanted to be a nurse and she didn't have the qualifications so I told her to become an SEN which they had then they just brought back again now in another name. She then did the conversion to SRN. Then I encouraged her and mentored her and she did a degree. Now she's a matron in a very intensive part of medicine and they said to her one day, why is it that you're not stressed like the rest of us? She said, well, I've got a personal faith and my pastor comes from a medical family of doctors and senior nurses. He knows about the medical world and I de-stress with him. And the chief nurse said, bring him in. You remember, I couldn't be near doctors or hospitals. So I walk in there and she said, will you mentor all our consultants and our senior nurses? And I said, no. I said, that's the job of chaplaincy. She said, they're awful. I said, they're not that bad. She said, they're worse. 
I said, well, you won't understand the scripture, but it says a house divided it will fall and I will not work against the church. I'll go and see the chaplaincy. So I walked in there, head of chaplaincy said, can I help you? I said, oh, yes. You're a bishop? Well, so they say, yes. What can I do for you? Now, I didn't say that they said they were useless. <laughs> I said, um, they want me to deal with the doctors, but it should only be done through the chaplaincy department. She said, you have been sent from heaven. I've got one chaplain suspended for bullying. I got the other one off ill because he was bullied. <laughs> it's all right for you, isn't it? It's the kingdom of God, this is. And I got one who's got a heart trap and he's a heart transplant. She said, I don't know where to go. She said, you wouldn't help me, would you? I said, look, I'll give you one day a week. Well, we can't have you here as a chaplain. I said, why? She said, because you're a bishop. We're going to have to make you honorary chaplain of the group. I said, oh, no, don't be silly. He said, oh, no, you can't get a badge unless you're the honorary chaplain of the whole group. So now I walk from doing nothing to 10,000 people. And I go to duty, and the great thing is, most of them don't know who I am. I'm Dave. So I go there, and I start visiting the patients, taking communion to the beds. And I think, my God, this is kingdom. Because I can't preach, you're not allowed to preach. Oh, God, that's church. You're not allowed to lay hands on the sick. No, no, can't do that. You can't pray for them unless they ask, my God, what can you do? Live your life. So they'll turn around and say to you, what's different about you, Father? Mostly call you Father. Um, what did you do before you did this, Father? I was in pro football for 21 years. No, why did you give it up? Do you want the story? Yes. <gasps> boom! <laughs> boom, boom, boom! So the first day there they showed me round and the Islamic chaplain, you know, Islamic chaplain, Islamic, he said, I can't get up, he said, because I'm ill. He said, I've got pain in my legs and I'm frightened last time I had this, they admitted me. And I said, well, if you went to Muslim, I'd pray for you. Because I pray in the name of Jesus and that wouldn't be acceptable. He said, oh, it is. Because I'm ill. <laughs> <laughs> so my first day this is, Lord, heal him. In the name of Jesus, his prophet. <laughs> Use a bit of wisdom. His prophet. Thank you very much, he said. I got around the hospital, come back, and he goes, Oh, I am well, I am well. You are my friend. And then they asked me to do a training session for all the Christian chaplains, and I turned around the side. He was on the front row. I said, This is Christian, not Islam. I know, he said, but you're my good friend now. <laughs> I come to support you. I've got complete entrance. I now have Islamic nurses and doctors come to me for counsel, Hindus, Sikhs. Time doesn't permit to tell you the doors that have opened, the way I've cared for people and seen people, Christians who have gone into hospital, petrified, Lord help me. I've been walking down a corridor in one of the hospitals, do about eight kilometres every shift, and the Lord says, turn right, turn left, Go to that unit now. Why? Just go. Walk in. The person's crying. Oh, Pastor Dave. I prayed somebody would come. I've just been given bad news. Pray with me. Hold them in their arms. They sob over me in the corridor. I pray hand for them. Go a bit further. One of the nurses says, Father, can I chat to you? I say, well, well when you've gone to, to the Sikh priest, he wouldn't understand like you do. Please, can I talk to you about my son? Will you pray for my son? I have a Sikh consultant who says to me all the time, will you pray for me? And I walked in one day and he bowed. 
I said, what are you bowing for? He said, well, he said, uh, you have an OBE and in my custom, he said, if you want what they've got, you honour them. Oh, I said, I see. So the next week he came to me, he said, come on, come on, see my new BMW. I can do all the temperature climate through my office. I said, well, you're getting near. I said, why? I said, well, OBE, BMW, you're, in the, you're almost there, aren't you? I said. <laughs> well, let me close off by saying, I said, what are you saying, Lord? He said, the church is now being rejected by the community, but chaplains aren't. They're the last bastion that we can get in. And not all of them are good, to be truthful. Because some, I had a Muslim, I had a Muslim boss come from the hospital and he said to me, Bishop, why haven't we got more like you? And I said, I don't know what you mean. He said, oh, you do. What is wrong with the Christian chaplains? I said, well, some of them are passionate and they're wonderful. But others are failed ministers. They can't find a place in a church, so they stick them nine to five in a hospital. I'm not trying to be clever. I go and do night shifts, which they don't do. To reach the night staff. I do emergency call out two nights a week, pastoring a big church for end of life. I go there sometimes when there's people with no faith. So, what did you phone me? Well, you've got faith. I take their funerals. I don't promise that in heaven. I don't do anything like that. I just ask them, because you realize I won't be giving you a Christian funeral, don't you? That's fine. But you're there. And then we wanted a new place for our church at Stratford. We were in a hotel and they took the ho new hotel owners came in and said, I have any regular bookings, you're going to leave in six months. Couldn't find anywhere. I said, what about the big art college? No, they wouldn't let any religious people in at all. But it had just been taken over in Stratford-on-Avon by Solely Hall. And I've worked with the, with the principals on, on all the committees in the town over regeneration, everything, but not the new one. Because long story short, I went to see him and I said, I want to apologise. I've not been to see you before. He took me for lunch. I said, do you have chaplains? No. How many students? 4,000. How many campuses? Three. I said, what would you do if I told you I've got a church in every one of your campuses? Do you let buildings out? No. Why? I need a building in Stratford-on-Avon. He said, contact the principal. Tell them I told you. Two days later, he sent me an email. You've not contacted yet. So I went to see her and I said, let me tell you who I am. She said, oh, you know, need to. I, I came from Surly Hall. I was there for 30 years. I know exactly who you are. What do you want? I said, well, I'd like your theatre and I'd like your coffee shop and I'd like this. And she said, you got it. We started there five weeks ago. How the spirit knocked everybody out the other week. We're going to reach the students. And then we want to work in the community with you. We want to feed the poor. Can you help us? We want to take care of the community. Can we come and join you on all the three campuses? And can you put chaplains in every one of them? had the police come to me and they said, how many chaplains can you give me? Birmingham Airport has 7,000 staff. The chaplain came and said, I've got three part-time Salvation Army, can you train me chaplains? I've got a course going now, 40-week course training chaplains. The doctors, had doctors come to me. Doctors said to me, you couldn't put chaplains in surgeries, could you? I said, why? He said, 40% of every sick person is not sick. They're lonely. He said, they come in and they go, oh, doctor, oh, it's pain in my arm here and... And I don't know what to do. And while I'm here, I've had this letter from the council. She said, so I fill out the letter for the council and surprisingly the arm gets better. He said, if I could do medicine and I could put a surgery just for one of your chaplains and tell people they could book in and you could signpost them. Then as I'm talking to him, the head of district nursing came and said, can I put in? 
Would you be able to come with our nurses to people who are locked into their home and can't get out? And, and I said to the Lord, how many of these are going to come to church? He said, they're not. But those who should be coming to church, I will bring. You preach the kingdom, I'll build my church. And so we're not getting a lot of these coming into the church, but, but, but we're changing their concept of Christianity for somebody else. But people are coming in every week and they're getting born again in the church and God says, that's fine, I'll build the church. You do what I tell you in the church, but you go preach the kingdom because Peter had the keys to unlock the kingdom. He was only the footings for the church. And the two work together. People from the kingdom join the church and the church is the bride of Christ. And one day Jesus will hand kingdom back to Father. That's what the Bible says. In the last day we'll say the kingdom's back now yours, Father. It's now established on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's learning, ladies and gentlemen, to work the practical with the spiritual, knowing that the, what is kingdom, what is church, not making church kingdom and not making kingdom church, they're paralleled. They're not separate, they're together, railway lines, together. But it's knowing that when... See, when I first started many years ago, close with this, many years ago when I started, I'd only got 12 in my church and my superintendent said to me, how are you going to build the church? I don't know what I said. I just know one day I'm going to be in the hospitals. He said, what a waste of time. Sick, dying people will never fill your church. I said, no, but they'll fill the kingdom. Who's going to go to them if we don't? And now we've just, we've just put our first chaplains into motor racing. We've got them in sport, hospice. My God, if you're a chaplain in a hospice, man, I could cry. We go in there. And we train people on, on, on all aspects of grief counselling. And let me just finish this one. Just imagine if every one of you in your churches trained a chaplain for your own use. I'm writing a paper in my next phase of life because I'm going to be a chief chaplain for the church. And I'm writing on what pastoral care is for our church. You see, the two hardest things is to get people and keep them. So we're writing a pastoral paper on how we pastor the people. Number two... What happens when they're in palliative care? Palliative care can last from a week to a year. And as they get more sick, what do we do to support the family? Then they die. What do we do at the funeral? We can do everything. We can supply the food. We can do all the printing for them. We can do the whole lot. And then what happens then for bereavement? We're writing the paper. So for the first month, they get a visit from a chaplain once a week. Second month, three times. Next, two. Fourth month, one. And they're redirected into a house group, into a bereavement counselling. We signpost them. So we keep the people. Don't have to be full-time, super pastoral people in your church to put them on a proper course so they're qualified. And we're going, to make this, we're going to make this national next year. We're going to offer it to churches all over the country that you can bring in chaplains from all your area, teach it, qualify you. Moreland's are going to give us uh, advanced diploma in chaplaincy. And so then you can say your people are qualified. And then all our people now hold the phone at night so if there's an emergency at night, the pastors don't get called out. Chaplains do. They're trained. One of your persons has a heart attack, rushed off to hospital, phone the phone number, chaplain answers, gets to the hospital, phones up your leaders and says, I think you need to come out. They've only got a couple of hours left. Or I've dealt with it. You can go tomorrow. That's just for your own church. Professionally trained paramedic pastoral care. And then you just imagine then, if you put them into doctor surgery, schools, colleges, universities hospitals, prisons, so you are now pastoring the whole of your community. 
This is the interesting thing. When we were the mega church in the Birmingham area, all the churches knew us. Nobody else did. Now everybody in the community knows us. And when I was awarded, first of all, Citizen of the Year, the mayor stood up in front of the whole council, the police and the fire service and said this. After the police, the fire and the ambulance, renewal is the fourth emergency service for our town. I was given Citizen of the Year and he said to me, I only wish we could give you more, but we can't at the moment. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I can't tell you. Two years later, I got an OBE because the Labour, Conservative, the Liberals and the Greens unanimously voted that I should be honoured by the Queen. Not because I've got a big church, not because the worship's brilliant, not because we've got a good Alpha course, as good as those are, not because we preach a good series, but we care for the poor. We care for the poor without any personal gain. We're not going, well, we do this, we get another 50 people in the church, but we're planting churches. It's well as, not instead of. I hope you don't mind me sharing that today. I just felt that God's, God's brought my balance in my life. I was out and out preacher, pray for the sick, using the gifts, words and knowledge. I'd walk into airports and walk up to strangers and call their name out and say, I've got a message for you and the name was right. I can do all that. That's normal for me. But normal for me is not sitting by somebody at two o'clock in the morning as they're slipping away, holding their hands, knowing to hold the family over me when they sob because they just lost their dad. That's new, that was new to me. But I tell you this, man, I wouldn't swap it for anything. Every week I go on duty, got the old uniform on. Final one will make you laugh. People are so unreligious now. I, 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 wear, my, I wear a Bush Bishop shirt with all Pakistanis and put all the oil in and put all my stuff there and my Bible. And I got my cross around me there and I got my badge. So I'm standing in the car park the other day thinking, now where am I going to go next? And a woman comes to me, she said, are you the car park attendant? <laughs> And I said, yes, love, did you know? <laughs> oh, she said, I'm so glad you found you. Where do we pay for the car park? I said, just in that little cubicle there. Thank you very much. I said, you should see what the car... <laughs> it's fun, isn't it? But this week, a seat consultant, a director for his unit, said to me, I'm a Sikh. Why did you give up all that money in football to follow Christ? Help me. Because to me, it's only the money that matters. So I sat there with a cup of tea for 45 minutes talking to this, this director of clinical medicine, Sikh, and what it meant to know Christ. And he said, thank you, Dave. I said, thank you. Bless you, my brother. I said, nice to see you. He said, I'll see you again. I said, you still won't get the OBE, you know. I said, still BMW. <laughs> I hope that's helped. God bless. I, I don't really know what to say because I'm quite undone myself. But I feel God's really speaking to us, isn't he, about the kingdom of God. And uh, that resonates, doesn't it, Martin, with some of the themes that we've been speaking into and teaching into and God's been speaking to us. So... Uh, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that when we have a guest speaker coming in, he says exactly the same things that God has been saying to us. So thank you. Can I read you a prayer? Yes. Because, you know, to show what I did once, one of my girls, she got born again from a Catholic family. 
and she was the only one, and they and they hated her. And her dad was a, was a, was a backslidden Catholic. And as he's lying in hospital, he said to her, "I want your priest." She said, oh, "We don't have priest, Dad. The pastor." So I don't care. I want your priest. And if he had called me while I was still purely Pentecostal, I wouldn't have done what I did. But I went there, and he said to him, "He said, Father, I want to make confession." What I would have said before is, you can only confess before God. You don't confess before men. But actually, the scripture doesn't say that. And I said, okay, my, my son, hold his hand, and he made his confession. And I said, that was lovely. Now, shall we say it again, but say it directly to Jesus? He said, am I allowed to? I said, yes. So let's say it again. And rather than saying, Father, I have sinned, say, Jesus, I have sinned. Really? Can I? Yes, you're allowed to. You've said it to me, now let's say it to him. So we went through it a second time. Jesus, I have sinned. This is my confession. Went all the way through it. I put my hand on and I said, Lord, save him. I go to the car park and she phones up and says, Dad wants you back. And I said, what's that? He says, what went through me when you prayed for me? I'm glowing. I said, it's the Holy Spirit. He said, can I have some more? I said, yes. So I prayed for him again. Went back to the car park. She called me back again. I'm sorry, he wants you again. He said, I need more of that. So I prayed for him again. God filled with the Spirit. And he said to his daughter, when I die, I want your priest. Well, he died and the family went up in arms. No way is a non-Catholic going to do this funeral. So I'm praying about it. And the Lord said, you wear a black suit. You wear a black clerical shirt. And you start off by saying, because the Catholics don't have the Lord's Prayer, they call it the Our Father. And it's not the full one that we have, they finish before the honour is the power of the kingdom and the glory. So he said, you say the Our Father, and you start off by saying in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, because they'll cross themselves when you say that. And then Benedict, he said, oh, you really love Benedict, he was a great monk. Because don't forget, there wasn't Protestants in those days, you were Christian or not. Pray a prayer of Benedict, sing, abide with me, and get it and do that. So I go to the crematorium and I come to the door and they're all outside waiting for the funeral. And they saw me and they went, oh, oh, it's a father. <laughs> so I go through it like that and I say, shall we say the Our Father? And they said, the Our Father. And I said, shall we, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they did that. And I thought, does it work again? In the name of the Father, Son, they did it again. <laughs> I thought, this is good, this is good, this is. And then I said, and shall we just now, before we conclude, shall we pray the prayer of Benedict? I said that. And then I said, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May make you... Is there nothing wrong in this? It's, it's, it's the sign of the cross. What's wrong with it? I mean, good grief. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. May the peace of God now rest in you. Amen. So on the way out, they're going, oh, Father, it's the best funeral we've ever been to, you know. Shaking me by the hand like this. They went back to the wake and they said, thank you for getting one of those charismatic Catholics. <laughs> and she said, no, that was my Pentecostal pastor. I said, why? Why did he do that? They said, because he loved you. And they said, our priest would never have done that for you if we lived in England, we come to your church. Now, what did I compromise? What did I do? What was wrong? I just learned sensitivity for the kingdom of God and that I could become all things to all men without prostituting truth is anything wrong with the Lord's prayer calling it our father 
Anything wrong with them crossing themselves to make the sign of the cross? Anything wrong in praying the prayer of a great man of God who was before the Reformation? Anything wrong in dressing in a way that they would see and understand? Anything wrong with that? Maybe you think there is, but I learned there wasn't. But you see, when you know the truth, you won't compromise truth. But the stuff that doesn't matter, doesn't matter. Teach us your ways, O Lord, and let us walk in your truth. We put behind us our stubbornness, independence, and turn again to you. Let us willingly fasten ourselves to the God of covenant, that we be Christ's and Christ be ours. Christ has many tasks for us. Some are easy, others are difficult. Some bring honour, others bring reproach. Some are to be our liking and coincide with our own inclinations and are in our immediate best interest. But some are just the opposite. In some we may please Christ and please ourselves. In others we cannot please Christ, except by denying ourselves. Yet the power to take on all of these is more definitely given to us by Jesus. For it is he who strengthens us and comes to help us when we are weak. Celtic Covenant. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. Time doesn't permit for me to get you out and prophesy over you all, even though I'd love to do that. Sometimes you don't need the man to prophesy over you in this stillness here. Just allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. First of all, I'm going to ask that God deals with compromise. Don't go there. There's somebody to the left of me here who is facing this in their job at the moment. Don't go there. Yeah, but what's the result? Don't go there. Don't go there. Daniel went home and opened the windows and prayed. He did not compromise. Yes, but look what happened to him. Yes, but look what he became. Don't compromise, sir. Don't compromise. Go open your windows and pray as you did before. God will take care of you and your two children. And this beautiful stillness. First of all, we deal with compromisation. No compromising. Now I'm going to ask God for you to be able to bring before him any bigotry. Anything in your life that is there because of tradition, upbringing. We're not asking you to agree with sin. No, we're not. No, we're not. But we're not the judges. <coughs> judge not lest you be judged. There is only one judge. We're not there to agree or to compromise, but we're not there to judge. We're there to stand for truth. And you know, if he be lifted up from the earth, which he was, he draws men unto him. By us standing for truth, not with dirty raincoats and placards, not for being rude and argumentative, not for going on the radio and the television. I'm blessed. I'm on BBC radio something like once a month. 
And they let me speak about issues where most others would not be allowed to speak on. And when I said, why do you do that? And they said, because the public love you. Because you're not judgmental, you're funny, but you tell the truth as you know it. I can get away with murder. Because I know who I am. And I know my weaknesses. Now I'm praying that you will understand your weaknesses. Don't use them as an excuse. But I'm praying now that God will deal with your strengths because the strengths we tend to neglect. You know, Hannibal attacked over the mountains because they never covered the mountains. And the enemy will not attack you often at your weakest point because you protect that. He attacks you in the very area that you think is safe. So now I want you to hand him your strengths. Protect them. Le jour le matin, c'est quand je le partage, quand je le pratique, quand je le tourne, le don, je le matique à bassoir. Une rombatica. Non, mon coucou. Bobo, bobo, chikibé. Bobo, chikibaba. Un bobo. Un bobaba. Un bobaba. Un bobaba. Tiki bobo. Bobo, baba. Bobo, baba. Tanga makete. Kikuku, kuku. Bobo, bobo, tiki. Bobo, baba. Kata, kata. He will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on him. I pray for your mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who has the mind of Christ? You have the mind of Christ. If you're sick, stand up. If you're sick, stand up. Put your hand where the sickness is. Don't be embarrassed if it's prostrate, breast, put your hand where the sickness is. Lord, we don't have to have lots of music. We don't have to have lots of shouting. We don't have to walk up and down. We don't have to wave our handkerchiefs. We're just saying the name of Jesus. Bring healing to these bodies now. Mind, body, soul and spirit. If you've got mental illness, if you've got depression, do not be afraid. Do not be ashamed as a Christian. Put your hands on your head. Landoku, Ika, Mo, Ndokuma, Tikiba, Kokuku, Moku, Tiki, Hakaka, Mokuku. Be healed. Now be healed. Head to foot. You may be seated. If you are seeking wisdom for things in your life, stand to your feet now.
Now, I'm deliberately not looking, so I assume people are standing because I just want to keep myself separated unto God. You'll hear a voice from behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. You will know it's his voice, for his sheep know his voice, and he knows them. So by the middle of March, revelations are going to be made complete in your lives. All through, you're going to say, this is incredible. This has happened, that's happened, this door's open, that one's closed. Because some will be closing of doors. The Lord says you have very little strength and you cannot keep the doors open, but what I open, no man can close. So stop trying to put your foot in the door. He's the doorman. And he said, now I will build my church and the gates of hell have no prevailing influence against it. So now, Lord, I just pray, maybe you all stand now. I want to thank you for this great group of churches, for the philosophy, for the passion, for the love, for the commitment. Thank you for the honour of being asked to be amongst them, Lord. I feel so privileged. I pray that you will increase them. That, Lord, where they have sought you for a fold, it will be double that fold. Where they have set expectations, you will do exceeding and abundantly more than they have asked or thought. Pray for this training school, study to be approved. I pray for the social work that's taking place, for the adoption agencies. My God, when we saw that little baby yesterday, who, who could even give them back? To think that that little baby sleeps in a godly home, is prayed for by a godly person, is cuddled by a, a Holy Spirit parent. My God, we're putting in an immune system in their spirit. Anointing on all these little babies and children, all those over four, may God have compassion on those children. May people take them in and adopt them. It will not be easy. It will be difficult culturally. The whole lack of worth or values. But you said, suffer them to come unto me, for they are the kingdom. Their kingdom. Because if anybody offends one of those, it's best that a millstone be put around their neck and they go long walks over a short cliff. So Lord, as they continue now for this weekend, as they share fellowship, heart, need, over food, over drink, over walk. May whatever happens from now on all through this after tonight and tomorrow morning and they worship, may the presence of God impregnate this place so they can say this is holy ground. Amen. Thank you ever so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you, David. It's uh, been such a privilege to have you amongst us. We've really appreciated it.